met her in a show called Family Guy, where the family talks and the dog does too. Brian Griffin, G-R-I-F-F-I-N. She walks up to Peter and she says, what the hell? Then Peter does a fart and I laugh at her, Lois Griffin. L-O-I-S Griffin. La 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 Lois. Well, I don't usually like the chicken fights, but when she saves the day, I nearly laugh till I cried. Oh my Lois. La 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 Lois. Well, I'm not an expert on Family Guy, but I laugh when the baby talks like a man. Oh my Lois. La 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 Lois. La 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 Lois. Well, no, I had a bit of a crisis, a bit of a temper tantrum about this bit, <laughs> and Noah and I talked about it, and I was not very, uh, I, uh, I was, I was not high on that conviction. I think I was just very tired from a long week of work and podcasting and a lot of other things, and I was just, in a, it was a little cranky, it was a little cranky yeah, last a week, listeners, a little, last week, yeah. but uh, Noah stepped up to the plate, he said that, you know, convinced me that this is a good way to start the show and I, I ended up agreeing and he said that he would have a two minute long myself wrong <laughs> and he said he'd have a two minute long song parody for me and that uh, filled me with such um, such malaise such ennui uh, spent a lot of time looking out the window just wistfully at the yeah. people passing by when he said that and then um, he did that and I have to say um I absolutely am in a, a throes of an existential despair, and it's not just because of two thirds <laughs> of the content on the show this week. It is it is because of the the parody of um, of uh, that we just heard. And I gotta say, uh, thank you for completely. Uh, I, I I I don't know what else to say. Just thank you. Well, thank you. you know what? Uh, motherfuck Dre, motherfuck Snoop, motherfuck Death Row. Here comes my left blow, and that was. <laughs> Lois, Lois, that was Lois by the so. Kinks. Yeah, Lola. The the original song is definitely not one that has. Um, it's aged, interestingly. We will. It's say. aged. It's <laughs> aged. To be it's sure. definitely aged. I. It's like, <laughs> there's some stuff in that song where you're like, uh, like now, but like you listen to it and you're also like, this is kind of sweet. Also, it is sweet. Yeah, I, he he means well. He does mean well, but he means well in like. <laughs> The, the like 
uh, the song, I can't, don't know if it's Ray Davies or his brother that wrote that one, but the definitely is like well-meaning in the way that a cishet white guy could be well-meaning about a trans person in the late sixties. Listen, <laughs> you know, <laughs> I'm talking about Lois Griffin. We're talking about Lois Griffin. Sorry about that. Right. <laughs> this, yeah. Listen, so. we do love Lois Griffin though. She's one of those, um, yeah. she is a, one of those. Uh, cartoon she's moms a milf, just dude. She, she's just one of those cartoon moms that just has an absolute like dumpster, uh, dump truck in the in uh, on her like that. <laughs> a dump truck ass. Dump that's truck what you're ass. trying to yes, say. Yes, thank you. I'm not on. T- <laughs> I'm not on TikTok. I know that that's a TikTok thing that people say that like Mrs. Incredible has a dump truck ass or whatever. But it's, it's true. Like, yeah, but it's also true. Is Marge Simpson the only like cartoon mom with like big boobs instead of a dump truck ass? Um, it's a great question. I guess no. Oh, she's not a mom, but whatever that girl's name on Futurama is, I don't watch Futurama. Oh, Leela? Leela? Yeah. Is Mac is Mac Raining a, a, a boob guy? <laughs> he's a boob guy and a Lolita Express guy. <laughs> That's true. That is so. true. And he was like a weird foot guy too, right? <laughs> yeah, that's apparently what was going on on the plane is he was like, I need a, I need a foot I Boy, I need a foot massage. <laughs> early Homer. He did it in early Homer's voice, so he couldn't oh, I be thought you were doing, persecuted. I thought you were doing uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman there in, no, uh, in no, Mission Impossible no, 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 3. <laughs> Dude, he's not nearly in Mission Impossible 3 enough. I actually watched that for the first time recently, and uh, he's, like, barely in the movie. It sucks. I know, but he, like, he really, like... That's my second favorite Mission Impossible, and it's just because I, it's mostly because he's in it, and also because I had that DVD and like literally wore it the fuck out when I was a kid. But I, you Damn. know what? That movie's on my list. No, <laughs> no. <laughs> well, folks, just to just to uh, tie that thread up that Mason uh, picked up at the very beginning, uh, I will be the exclusive song parody guy on it's on the list now. Mason's. Ret- is retiring from that bit specifically. I, yes. on the other hand, am not. I will be picking up, uh, not not that I'm picking up the slack. I literally am just like, I'll do every song parody. I don't care. Yeah, and now me, so. now the game is less. Um, how can we one up each other? And it's more uh, how much uh, despair can Noah fill me, uh, fill in me on a <laughs> weekly basis? And I think that that's a much more fun game. Honestly, <laughs> less pressure it's more on fun me. For me, yeah, definitely. <laughs> What was what was the one that really just sort of like what was the was the was the straw that broke the camel's back with that? Do you remember? I or mean, was it just the repeated beating on the head of just like all these songs that just I, are terrible? I kind of like uh, and listen. I feel like this is going to be a like a uh, a Jordan retirement. Like when he but when he retired okay. the second time and came back to play for the Magic or the Wizards or whoever he came back to play for. Yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> when you come back, the songs are just going to be shit. Yeah, exactly, exactly. It's not like I was uh, got in trouble for gambling and they they made me play baseball and I'm like going to show up on a, uh, a I, I don't know what's. A, I, I don't know. Anyways. What the uh, fuck are you talking about? I was trying dude. to come up with a podcast that I could show up on uh, instead of ours and as like my kind of like uh, Jordan playing you could baseball. Show up on, you could show up on uh, no one else. Or you could show up on vague booking. Does Carter still do vague booking? Is that still a he thing? He does. And he, you know what? Listen, still has not released my episode. So I can still show oh. up on vague booking. <laughs> Wow. I, okay. I don't feel. Yep. Yeah. This and listen with that episode of Vague Booking. I don't really feel like I said, given the the kind of tenor of that show and what he's interested in, I totally feel okay. T- like 
not being on that show until he can find room for me. You know, I've recorded <laughs> sure. that. And it's like, I recorded that also basically a year ago. So it'd be very yeah. interesting to hear little old me from a year ago. Uh, but wow. yeah. anyways, uh, I guess vague booking. My, the first one that came to my mind was, uh, or pod save America. So like I go to be on pod <laughs> save America instead of it's on the list. But uh, I don't know. I mean, so the thing that's the straw that broke my, the camel's back, was it in the minute and a half brass and pocket parody? And I'm like, I'm not, I, I, this, this feels like it for me. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? Uh, I don't mean to, I don't mean to be that guy when I say it, but it kind of felt like that was it for you for me. As well. So uh, I'm not surprised to be honest with you. I was like, wow, Mason is like, going for it in like the craziest way yeah possible. and if you like, listen, I didn't know what to think. if you listen to those if you listen to those lyrics uh most of those lyrics are i think a cry for help too most of those parody lyrics are a yeah. cry for help <laughs> so yeah. i yeah. talked with my therapist we've moved the so here's the other thing the show uh uh this is an, this is an official announcement. This, this is for real. This is a fit. Yes, this is for real. No bits happening right here. Uh, my work schedule is fucked. I work Tuesday through Saturday, and when I worked Monday through Friday or didn't work at all, getting the show out yeah. on Monday was way easier for me because I had a ton of time to edit. Uh, with the uh, with my current schedule, my schedule for the past couple months, basically. Uh, been kind of stressful to get the show out on time. Always did it with, I think, maybe one or two exceptions. Uh, but always got the show out. No problem. Uh, but I do still need time to edit the show. So from now on, maybe starting with this week's episode or the one after, um, shows are coming out on Tuesdays, folks. Tuesday release That's date it. from now on. Uh, doesn't change anything too much. Just look for the show on that day then. But that's that's it. No bits. That's it. That's it. No bits. That, and that's the end of the show. That's it. You can find us <laughs> on uh, Instagram, on Facebook, on Twitter. My name yeah, is... Yeah, uh, all the fun places. Yeah, all the fun places. All the places where there's only good stuff happening and it's not a complete... Uh, it's not a, a, a just, dumpster fire. It's not a dumpster fire. It's not a dumpster fire. It's not a carousel of stress and, uh, <laughs> and living hell. Uh, <laughs> fuck. It's a piss and shit cocktail, is what it is. Just, just call it what it is. Big, t- big time, big time, big time. But no, we, we got, we. Hey, it's on the list. It's this the is list. a podcast <laughs> about underrated movies, media, and much more. Uh, I am yes. one of your hosts, Noah Marger, and with me, as always, it's me. It's John McGuire. Yes, yes. It's, I was going to say John Favreau. Well, he, like, what were you going to say? I was going to say John Favreau. Say John Favreau. Yeah, I was going to say, uh, I had a big John Favreau day while I was working. I had Seinfeld on in the background as I normally do. And I watched the episode where, uh, director of Iron Man and the Lion King, John Favreau plays a, uh, part, plays a party clown at George's girlfriend's son's birthday. <laughs> oh yeah. And is that the same episode where there's a fire and he runs out before everybody else? Yeah. 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 Classic. Great app. Great app. Love. Speaking of TV. Yeah. Uh, as of this recording. Three episodes left on The Sopranos, baby. No. Sh- Ooh, have you seen Kennedy and Heidi yet? Or is that the penultimate? I just watched that episode. Bro, what'd you feel? how'd you th- feel about that one? <laughs> okay, so no spoilers for The Sopranos at all. Um, maybe the darkest episode of the series, potentially. Maybe. I'm just going to, I mean, it's- I have to, have to see the last three episodes. There's a lot of dark stuff with his mom in the first two seasons. But... That one was especially brutal. That, that one is very brutal. Really hard to watch. That one starts with the um, the death of a major character, 
and it yeah. and it's like you are watching kind of Tony Soprano's last chance for self sort of acceptance and understanding and uh at the end you just have this feeling like oh it's way too late it's way too late for this guy (laughs) (laughs) in a lot of ways i felt that long before but i think you're right it is one of those episodes where you're just like well (laughs) this is i mean we're watching a downward spiral if there ever was one Mm -hmm. like that this the stuff he does in vegas is crazy but i got three more eps by the time this episode comes out i'll be done with the series so hell yeah uh I think you can look for something, uh, if you follow me on the socials, you can look for something about The Sopranos and my experience watching The Sopranos, a little bit of a personal essay, don't know when that's coming out, but a little bit of a pre, pre-plug pre for that, again, don't know when that's coming out, but that's kind of why I've been motoring through it so much is because I actually just really want to write that, and so uh, we'll, see what, we'll see what happens with that, but... That's not what we're here to talk about today. That's not what we're here to talk about today. <laughs> That's not what we're here to talk about today. <laughs> we're here to talk about three things, actually. No one just turned into a... Danny DeVito from Batman Returns, everybody. The freaking Oswald Cobblepot on the pod today. <laughs> it's me, the Penguin. Hey, how's it going, Mason? You fucking bitch. Come here. I'm like Freddy Krueger now, too. Ripping through the fucking bathwater to, like, soak up your juice. Uh, we got, we got, Jesus Christ. Three, we got three things we're going to talk about today. Yeah, we this is a, a uh, short film. Mm-hmm. We got an album and we got a movie mm-hmm. and two of those three things I picked and I threw the short film on Mason very, uh, I don't want to say early this morning, but it was today, wasn't it? Or was it? No, yesterday? I think it was the day before, um, or the day before that. No, you know what? I think it was yesterday, uh, because I was having a particularly kind of frenetic day and you throw this at me and I'm like, excellent. Just one more thing I got to do this fucking week is watch a 10 minute long movie. Uh, and once yeah, you know, it, you can yeah. find time for a 10 minute long movie. So it ended up not being that big of a deal. We haven't done this in a while. The last time we did it was for, uh, it was, you picked the short film and the movie. Cause that was the George Washington yes. episode. I think where we talked about, uh, excitable boy, uh, yes. about a year ago. Yes. yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's always fun. To, it's always fun to do that because, uh, short films are, a very interesting thing because they're not commercially viable at all. Like basically, mm-hmm. uh, but they still happen and they still come out and a lot of people make shorts. Oh yeah. And yeah. I think that's, it's changing now. I think as far as the digital landscape is concerned and the like accessibility of equipment, I think that it is changing where we're going to see more long form series from people as opposed to just, short shorts Mm -hmm. and in the realm of animation though which this short is yes uh, i don't think that will go away Uh, and this short that we're talking about today is the 2008 uh well it won the 2009 oscar but you know how that works it came out in 2008 the the ceremony was in 2009 but this is i'm not even going to attempt to read the actual like foreign language title but in english it is the house of small cubes so we got that we got that going right here. This is a uh, 2008 10 to 12-minute animated thing. It's weird because on Letterboxd, it says that there's a narrator, but I've never watched the version with a narrator because one of my like things about this is that I personally wouldn't change a goddamn thing about this short. I think, I think this no, short is yeah. perfect through and through, but we'll get into that in just a sec. But I literally was going to say about it, it's the prime example that – you need to show and not tell in order to be most effective in film and 
visually displayed mediums of moving mm-hmm. image arts. Yeah, no. Yeah, exactly. It is just, I mean, just without words, you just get an entire story and just such a rich story. But uh, I've seen this many times. We'll talk about that here in a sec. But Mason, had you ever seen this before? What was what's your uh, relationship with this? It definitely, so you sent that to me and watching it, I had like pangs of familiarity and I couldn't tell if I, or I couldn't remember rather, if I had actually seen the whole thing before or if I was just remembering it from when I was watching that Oscar ceremony. Um, sure. Because that was, was that the year that Slumdog Millionaire won? Yeah, it would have been. Yeah, I, I mean, I watched every Academy Award ceremony since the Lord of the Rings: Return of the King won in two thousand four for that ceremony. So I definitely watched this one. I was just trying to place where this was in my life. Right. Uh, so I don't think so. I don't honestly. I can't, I don't have like a, a a memory of either being shown this or sitting down and watching it before you you texted it to me. Uh, one of the uh, YouTube links. Because you can actually, there's a couple different YouTube links. Like, it's not a difficult movie to find and watch. And I'll, you know, put one, put a link to it in the notes here. But, yeah, it says, you said that you'd seen this a couple times. So what's your, uh, what's your yeah, history with so this Yeah, so I'd seen, this is, I think, the third or fourth time that I'd seen it. Uh, I don't know if, I've never said this person's name on the show before, and I won't just because I don't really talk to this person anymore, and there's just no reason for me to, like, Say to his dox name him. out yeah. loud. Yeah, there's no reason to dox this guy. But uh, I had a like weird ass friend, like sophomore and junior, and like most of senior year in high school that I would like go to his house after school when I had uh, like free time mm-hmm. after school or whatever, and we would like go to his house. He lived very close by. We would walk or drive if I had my car with me that day, and he was just into like weird shit. Like he's the first person who showed me Kenneth anger films. Uh, Holy shit. (laughs) He showed me Scorpio rising when we were in like 11th grade. And it was just like, it was just like a lot. If you know what Scorpio rising is like, you know, you know, if you know, you know, basically on that one. Um, So he's like showed me stuff like that. He was very into twin peaks. Uh, He was very into David Lynch as a whole, very into like, weird Japanese horror. Like, have you ever heard or seen the movie Gozu? Does that mean anything to you? Uh, no, it doesn't. Sounds interesting, I, though. I believe it's a Takashi Miike film. I oh, don't have the information okay. right in front of me. Mm-hmm. But I believe it's Takashi Miike, uh, who's very strange director. But this guy was also obsessed with, like, uh, Ichi the Killer and Audition and, like, that kind yeah, of Japanese sure. horror and stuff like that. And so he just had, like, a bunch of, like, eclectic interests. And one day on the – we were just, like, in his, like – like, I don't want to say it was, like, the office. It was just, like, the spare room that had, like, his PS4 and, like, a TV in it and stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he was just like, hey, do you want to see, like, a cool little short film? I was like, sure. And so we went on his computer, and he pulled it up, and he was like, this is, like, one of the only movies that makes me cry. And I was like, Ooh. oh, okay. And then we watched it, and it made me cry too. And I was like, yeah. holy shit, I'm crying with my bro right now <laughs> over the house of small cubes. Uh, which really, it pissed, it actually did piss me off when you texted me. Can't wait to talk about the first 10 minutes of Up on the podcast. Because I'm like, Mason, <laughs> I know what you're doing right now, but you, I don't, you, don't know how, you don't know how much that stung. So <laughs> that's my like initial relationship with this movie. I've seen it. You know, I watch it every couple years you know just to get a little bit of a refresher it's very readily available on youtube so yeah and i just wanted to shout it out you know there's not a ton to talk about with it but like it's worth bringing up i personally think it's like perfect in the sense that i wouldn't change a single thing about it i think every element of this 
little animated short is completely on point. So that's my little spiel about sure, it. Yeah. About you? No, uh, I, you, you did steal uh, my bit. I was going to say this is the t- first 10 minutes of up, but uh, <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, I was, I watched this. So with our last short, I think we, we, li- we literally watched yearbook and then hit record on the file and then immediately and immediately. So, but with this one, I watched it like when uh, a little earlier this afternoon when I found some time and uh there i am just like i don't know what it is but i am just so kind of immediately resistant to any um i don't say any animation but it's just like with animation for whatever reason it feels like kind of an uphill battle for me even though i like definitely respect the work that went into it and maybe because when i was a kid i wanted to maybe be an animator and then i realized how much work I had to go into animating and i was like <laughs> Yeah, yeah no. say that again. Yeah, dude. holy shit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's kind of like an unrealized dream or whatever. So anytime I see someone do something like this, I'm just like, it's like a jealousy thing almost. But I really tried to like, there was a part of me, like this really small, petty part of me that was like, no, this isn't that special. This is so good. And I was like, like you, I was pretty emotional at the end. I was just like, what the fuck? Like this, this man used to. All, I don't not to spoil it too much, but it's like you go you you the way that this uh, short um, unfolds 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 and documents this man's like kind of um, trip into his memory and uh, and into his life and does it in such a elegant and um, uh, succinct way that's still very emotional. Um, it's really incredible. Yeah, this is this is a really this was a, a good find, and this was a good thing to sh- show along my shove along my way, even if I was a, a big old a big old crank about it when you <laughs> texted me initially. <laughs> well, it is. I mean, it is hard to critique in a way because you're either into it or you're not. I feel like it's there's not really a lot to say about it except for got beautiful storybook animation, like just absolutely gorgeous it does look like a storybook yeah that's what i really it does it does yeah 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 like a nice like kind of painterly and like really well illustrated um kind of aesthetic to this thing that's very uh comforting and kind of and very melon inherently melancholic i think absolutely and so there's that's one element to it it is insanely well written yeah for a short that absolutely does not have any dialogue, at least in the versions that have been made available to us, at least on YouTube. There is a credited actress doing voiceover narration on Letterboxd, but I've never watched the version with narration, so I do not recommend watching a version with narration. I think that this thing absolutely stands on its own two feet without it. Uh, And like I said at the beginning when I was bringing it up, it really does build a world that you immediately understand Mm. the rules of, a character that you immediately understand, like what his it establishes the routine, it introduces the problem, and then you're swept up in this story of this man accepting old age, which is actually a, a actually something we're going to be talking about with the movie, the feature later, I think, mm-hmm. uh, in a in a weird way. So weirdly linked up again there, uh, and then last but not least, the score is yeah. impeccable. Yeah. Great score. Yeah, I, there's not a single, like, incongruous element in this thing. Like, I'm with you that I don't think that, the, like, watching this and looking back on it, my experience watching it, there's not much that I would change about it, you know, or, or anything, really. Because um, once you kind of, yeah, like you said, settle into the routine and then um, 
the sort of plot starts in earnest and you see like you kind of I don't it's a movie where or a short in a story where I don't think being in front of the story is a bad thing because it's presenting everything in such a um it's presenting everything in such a, a unified way uh, or in a way that um, if you get in front of it, you don't feel cheated almost, you know, it's almost like, all. you know, it's, 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 I don't want to say you feel rewarded, but you kind of can understand where it's going once you kind of get the initial conceit. And then once you kind of release any need to get in front of the movie, because before like the initial kind of like, you know, flash thing that happens, happens, you're kind of just watching this guy th- go through his life. Um, he lives in a kind of society that's been, uh, uh, overtaken by water. So there's a little bit of like kind of a climate anxiety thing to this movie as well, uh, or an element, not huge, but it's part of it. Um, and he, his life is basically just, he gets bricks to make his house a little bit bigger. Um, and specifically taller, taller, exactly taller. And he's, you know, he's by himself. Um, his day is basically just making the house taller. And before he, um, before the, the plot starts, you're kind of just like, all right, now what's, what's going to be happening here? You know, like, am I just going to be watching this guy's routine? And then you realize what's happening. And then once that happens, you can kind of just release control. And honestly, like after you release it, that's when the emotions come. And that's when I stop being like a little bitch about this. And I, I'm just like, eh, <laughs> eh, that's just, that's yeah. he used to run in the fields basically, you know? Uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So it's, I don't know. I, it's, I'm glad you showed it to me uh, and put it on my radar. Cause I wouldn't have like, I don't know if I would have sought this out, uh, sought this out if you hadn't pointed out, did it come like, why this week for this movie? Did it just like kind of, did something trigger your memory about this and you wanted to bring it on the pod or, well, I think it. I think in a way, it actually does relate to the feature that we're talking about at the end of the show. Mm-hmm. I think thematically a little bit, not exactly. I think they're slightly different in the way in the way that they attack the theme of like getting older and all that kind of stuff. But it was one of those things where I'm like, oh, we haven't talked about a short in a while. I really like this short. This is you know, take it's 12 minutes long, basically. Let's talk about it. And so yeah. I don't think there are any, I don't really think we need to say anything else about it. If we can just link it in the show description, people can see it for themselves and just sort of experience it. But uh, this is a full recommend from me. If I had to give a Mercedes valuable player for this little short, it's got to be the director on this thing. Kunio Kato, I believe is how you say the name. And uh, he just really knew how to bring everything together because I was like, I don't really think I can give an, a Mercedes valuable player for this because everything is like, working at such a high level together, mm-hmm. but I guess I'm going to give it to the director because the director is the one who has to oversee all those elements and make sure that they all fit the vision of the story. So mm-hmm. for me, the director Kunio Kato uh, gets my Mercedes valuable player award for this, of course, named after it's so obvious. I don't know why anyone is confused about what Mercedes valuable player means. Mercedes Ruel from, from Married to the mob, the classic. Yeah. John Connie, Connie from Married to the mob, everyone's favorite character from American cinema, the greatest character in American <laughs> cinema. Yeah, it's very fucked up and dumb when people ask us what this bit actually means. <laughs> I am means, sick I... of answering DMs about what this means. We've made it very clear. 
Yeah, you know, it's fucking obvious. Who who doesn't know who Mercedes Ruel from Mary Kim <laughs> Robbins? So, uh, this uh, is also a full recommendo for me. I would say, I didn't even think about doing a, a Mercedes Valuable Player for this one. But I would say if I was giving a Mercedes Valuable Player, it would just be uh, for uh, Scuba Gear. And that's all I'll say. There you go. Perfect. Speaking of scuba gear. Speaking, yeah, clearly. <laughs> Moving clearly, on. Great, great segue joker here. Uh, yeah, no a little bit of a little bit of a fucker move on that one. Yeah, big time. Talking about the album next. <laughs> talking about an album next, which was also my pick for this week. Uh, we're talking about Do Hollywood by the Lemon Twigs from 2016. Claps, 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 claps. Mason. Hey. You know anything about this before the show, or what the fuck was your deal with this album? This was another one with, uh, similar to um, past uh, guest and current friend, uh, Marin Moreno, when she brought on Sprinter by Torres, and I went on my uh, Spotify, and I had seen that I had liked two Torres songs previous even though I'm like, oh, I don't think I'd ever heard a Torah song before or couldn't place it. Uh, this was a, a similar thing. Uh, the Lemon Twigs sounded vaguely familiar, but in the way that was kind of like, oh, I mean, this might have been a Discover Weekly band that came and went uh, and didn't think to do anything else with it. But would you be surprised to know that in... I am looking for... I am pulling up my Spotify right now. The suspense is fucking killing so, me. So, okay? <laughs> would you be surprised? So, here's here. I saw that I had like two Lemon Twig songs, both off of Do okay. Hollywood, actually. And oh, wow. um, here's what they were I had given a heart on December 5th, 2016. So, oh, Donald shit. Trump had been the president elect for one month. <laughs> and I thought, yes. you know what? I got to give a heart. To the song "These Words" by the Lemon Twigs, and then in 2017, on June 5th, uh, I gave a heart to "I Want to Prove to You," and I don't remember yeah, how those two songs came into my life. Could have been Discover Weekly, could have been other things. I just know that L.A. Mason—that was definitely an L.A. Mason decision—liked the Lemon Twigs a lot and uh, want and gave them a little heart. Had not thought to listen to this album until Noe wanted to bring it on. So, uh, that's it. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for all so much for listening to the show. You can find us on Instagram. Yeah, no, I think that that is, I think that's great, Mason. <laughs> I think that's fantastic because I want to prove to you was on my Discover Weekly at one point. Hey. And that's how I found out about this band as well. I heard, I want to prove to you, it just came on. I used to do the Discover Weekly all the time. Yeah. And then for some reason, I just stopped. I don't do it regularly anymore. Um, I don't think, I think it's just because I don't care that much, weirdly, as it sounds, even though. And you know what? My thing, like, sometimes I will, like, I'll go through, like, when the the playlist comes up on, like, a Monday, which is one of my days off. And that you'd think that'd be ample playlist listening time. But I'll go through and just see if there's, like, an artist or a song that sounds, like, kind of interesting and listen to that. But really, the way that I've been finding music nowadays has just been, like, the YouTube algorithm. (laughs) The YouTube algorithm has a great... Really is... And, like, stuff that you can't find on streaming, you can find easier on the YouTube algorithm. And that's why um, I've been doing YouTube for music a lot recently. 
I definitely it's fair. Yeah, I definitely feel you, and I also think that like I was a little no, I was a nosy little son of a bitch too, and I would poke around on my friends' Discover Weeklies when I saw they were listening to it on oh, wow. the friend activity page, and I would see like a lot of the songs that I listened to were showing up on there. Uh, just their playlist and I'm like what is going on with this algorithm here is there just a big old pool of music and it kind of like <laughs> took the, the no, veil dude, away that's when you know <laughs> that's when you know you text your friend that's when you text Sonny Dion Jr. and you're like hey noticed you're also listening to Your Best American Girl by Mitski I've also had that on my Discovery <laughs> Weekly um, you better stop fucking listening to that song right now you dumb piece of shit that's my uh, song uh, <laughs> that's my song That's uh, this is my song uh, many are like it but this one is mine this is my Discovery Weekly <laughs> Basically, most people's are like this, and so is mine, apparently. Uh, but I found, uh, I want to prove to you on my Discover Weekly at one point, and I was very enticed by it immediately, because it sounded very unique, and it sounded like something that I really hadn't heard, especially in the modern day, because I think you would agree with me, Mason, regardless of what you think of the album, which we'll get to in here in just a sec, or the Lemon Twigs as a whole, this is very much a throwback to, like, 60s rock. Yeah. Like, at least the sound. Yeah, and it's, like, I did just cursory research on the band, and they, I'm sure you know this, but, like, for the listeners, they are, the two Lemon Twigs here are uh, the children of uh, 70s power pop musician Ronnie D'Alessandrio. D'Alessandrio. D'Addario. D'Addario. Thank you. Uh, but yeah, but given that he's their father, and um, I did listen to a little bit of their father's music, and I'm like, oh, it makes sense that this is what gets filtered down to the second generation here. Yeah. Uh, it's very 60s, and it's also, um, I wrote in my notes... Uh, Mason's Notebook. Mason's, this is, <laughs> I so love doing. We do have Mason's Notebook coming up here in a minute, but this is Mason's Note app, folks. Uh, I did Mason's Note app. Click, click, fuck. <laughs> so I just that is the theme song. So in between my first and second listens to this album, I was trying to figure out what besides music this reminded me of, and it hit me like a bolt of lightning when I was listening to the music and walking to get a hot dog today. That this is very like mighty bushy. Like, you know, the yeah kind of no yeah. mighty boosh. That's interesting. Yeah. yeah. And I was like, that's very interesting. I, I wrote just in my notes here, mighty boosh. <laughs> and you wait. So hot dog debicki was walking to get a hot dog, comma, debicki question mark. I didn't. So I, yes, I went to see a hot dog and then I went to the nearest screening. <laughs> I went to see a hot dog. I went what to get fuck? a hot dog and then I went to the nearest screening of Tenant and licked every single person in the theater. <laughs> So this will be Hell the yeah. last episode of It's on the List, folks. <laughs> you can find us on Twitter at It's on the List Pod. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I'm proud of you for I'm proud of you for uh, figuring that out and then going to get a hot dog. Uh, this is probably an appropriate time to bring up. I was supposed to ask you at the beginning of the show. Oh, sure. You sent me a photo about 90 minutes before we started recording uh-huh. of you wearing a mask inside a building. Watching Family Guy. Oh, I have photo evidence. You do of have this. photo. What's going no, on? No, so that was so that was at the hot dog place. It was Victory Grill on Milwaukee Avenue in Chicago, uh, Milwaukee in roughly California. And nice. uh, I just walked in. I ordered my little hot dog combo. Got one one Chicago style hot dog. Everything on it. 
And wouldn't you know it, on the TV, they were showing an episode of Family Guy. And I thought, <laughs> how amazing. about this? On my podcast record day, the show which is syndicated <laughs> on every single channel uh, is showing. What a fun coincidence. So I had to send Noah a picture and maybe we'll post it on the Instagram <laughs> or, or the social. <laughs> of you of you walking in with your mask demanding they change the station. <laughs> yeah. TBS they had the Republican so national convention on. And I said, put on family guy. Honestly, that's probably what most people who are trying to watch the Republican national convention turned it from. <laughs> They're like, Oh fuck. Gotta turn on the RNC brother. Oh yeah. yeah. Uh, but yeah, so that's the story of why I was, why, why I had encountered family guy in the wild there today. Uh, Hell yeah! Yeah, but that's just like back, back to music. <laughs> back to fucking music. This is great. This is my favorite episode so far. Let's keep going. <laughs> I don't believe you, but <laughs> uh, the brothers of this band—they're formed in Long Island in 2014. Uh, they are brothers. It's crazy that they are my age, basically. No right shit, now. really. Yes. Really? So they okay. were—they were like. Not Hollywood darlings, but like New York film industry and Broadway darlings. Their names are Michael and Brian Diodario. They were in a lot of things. Brian uh, was Gavroche in Les Miserables oh, on shit. Broadway at one oh, point. Oh, boy. Okay. <laughs> and Flounder. He, he was the original Flounder in the Little Mermaid musical uh, on Broadway. And Michael Diodario, most notably, he was on more of the film side, it seemed, he was most notably Trevor in the horror film Sinister from 2012. Oh, okay. And young Charles Adams in the HBO show John Adams, which I never watched, huh, but okay. actually seems very interesting and would like to watch because I'm a big Paul Giamatti guy. So these were young entertainment professionals when yeah, they were like yeah. six and eight years old. So they're a showbiz family, I guess, you know, with their dad, Ronnie Diodario, being a 60s, you know, glam pop superstar or whatever. And, uh, They've just they just said fuck it we're just gonna do this so when in 2016 when Do Hollywood came out they were probably 19 and 20 respectively mm, so that's okay. just something very interesting to keep in mind there because you would not be able to tell I don't think based on the content of the yeah, songs and, and how complex musically some of the like construction of them yeah are. and. The fact that they were that young really changes my content, my, the context of this album and, and what I have to say about it. So thanks for making that clear. Really? Okay, so what does that mean? So here's, here's <laughs> my journey with this. I listened to this album for the first time the day before the recording, and then again, roughly an hour or so before the recording, within that 90-minute time when I was watching Family Guy. Sure. Um, very cool. Yes, very cool. Um, and... As I had said on this episode, I had a pretty frustrating day yesterday, and I listened to this, and I was just, like, not on the level of this album. And I was really, sure. I think, putting a lot of my frustration that I was feeling onto my experience of listening to this album, which is why I like to give the albums themselves two listens to, because more right. so than watching a movie or anything else, really my reaction to whatever's in my ears, because I just have, I listen to things all the time, uh my initial like, kind of gut reaction and my um, attitude about something really can mostly sometimes be tied to just my general just demeanor. And I had a pretty frustrating sure. day. I was pretty 
pretty annoyed at some things that happened during work. I'd just been, you know, I, I cut my thumb open trying to make some sweet potatoes. <laughs> I was just not in a place to listen to this yeah, album. Dude. And I, I I could not get what this album was about. I, I just could not get with it at all. Sure. But and on, truly, truthfully, both times I was listening to this album, my kind and the second time I lightened up a little bit, I was like, I really would have liked this a lot of the songs on here to be more consistent musically and tonally. Cause I kind of had a feeling listening to it that the 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 production and the kind of like time tempo tricks and the kind of abrupt shifts in directions that the songs were taking um, were getting in the way of me connecting with what the, with these guys, which is why I like to listen to music uh, or just watch movies, uh, uh, engage with art. I could not engage with these guys because I was so uh, kind of the jungle of the production and the songwriting was really getting in the way here. I, the second time I listened to it, not as much of an issue, but I still was a little annoyed sometimes. Sure. But I was also operating under the assumption that these guys were probably closer to my age when this album came out. Mid-20s, um, you know, mid to late 20s. And they had kind of, you know, used their industry connects to, you know, get studio space, hire a lot of musicians, and um, get, construct this album and just kind of threw everything at the wall. Um, but knowing that they were like 19 and 20, that kind of incongruity definitely makes sense um i feel because i'd listened to a, a couple songs off of their later albums and they definitely have i think cohered a little bit more um so it's interesting timing on this because their newest album dropped i guess what will have been all like a week and a half ago when this comes it out, it really new, really new, that, which is nuts. Um, it is nuts. And that album, did you ever, did you listen to a little bit of that album or I, that album at all? Yeah. I listened to, uh, I, I want to pull up the songs cause I, I didn't heart them, but I, they came up on the radio and I really did like it. I think it was, uh, Oh, no one holds you closer than the one you haven't met. And I really liked, a great song. I really liked that song. Yeah. I think that song came up on, when I finished listening to the album, it just Spotify went into um, the album radio basically, and that was the first song. And I was like, "This is what I wanted this album to be. This is really what totally. I'm looking for with this." And it makes sense that they that they're like they're twenty and twenty three now. Yeah, basically. sure, exactly, exactly. It makes sense that they grew up and matured and got a better handle on their craft because I really think that this is. This does have big, like, kind of first album energy to me, and especially like ambitious, uh, am- ambitious theater kid for lack, of, for want of a better term. No, uh, that's fair. Energy, and it's like, if that's truly who they are, then I'm not gonna say that it's like bad. You know, it's just not really to sure. my taste or to my, um, to my taste or to my liking. Uh, but th- that's kind of my. And the reason why I said that, like, it kind of changed the, the, the context is, like, knowing how young they were when they when they wrote this, the kind of, the obfuscation of it makes a little more sense. The fact that they're not quite sure what, the, like, you know, not quite sure. It makes sense because, like, at 19 and 20, you know, you think you're king shit, basically, but you also have no idea who you are. And if you're making sure. art at that time, 
more often than not, it's going to be reflective of that, uh, that, 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 but, um, yeah, I, it, it just makes more sense. So, so this is an album that you like a lot. I take it in a group that is really, you really enjoy. So it's interesting because when I listen to this album, you know, whenever it appeared on my Spotify Discover Weekly back in the day, I really was like, damn, why the fuck aren't people talking about the Lemon Twigs? Like, I really thought that I had found, like, this very much hidden gem. I'm not even going to say Diamond in the Rough, because at the time I was like, I just can't believe that more people I know aren't talking about these folks sure. and that mm-hmm. these folks aren't on the radio. Yeah. Like, literally, I was very surprised. I was like, I have dis- I have unearthed something beautiful. I did it. Me! <laughs> Me! I did it! And I was like, holy crap, these guys are awesome. And I will be completely 100% transparent with you, Mason. I don't think I've ever lied to you on this show. No, before. not on this show. But... Not all the mics are hot. <laughs> <laughs> no, off mic, I'm always like, yes, that was a good show. <laughs> but uh, you did a great job. <laughs> But uh, I was not digging it the first time I listened to this album again because I hadn't heard it in a while. Uh, And the first time I popped it on, which was like two days ago, I was like, oh, I made a mistake. Uh (laughs) I was like, this this is kind of weird and all over the place and doesn't feel as fun as I remember. It feels messy. But there's a couple songs on here that really do – Hold up for me. Yeah, uh, yeah. Baby, mm-hmm. baby, and these words, and I want to prove to you, I think those three in particular, I think those yeah. three still do the trick for me for the most part, whereas some of the album cuts like A Great Snake and uh, High Plus Low, oh, not really doing it for me at this point. You didn't like so. High Plus Low? I liked High Plus So I ended up liking... Um, more of this album on second go through than I did. I, I want to prove to you still hearted baby, baby, definitely. Uh, that might be my Mercedes valuable player is that song, baby, baby, because there is a, it, there is a chaos to it, but it feels much more controlled and not like the fucking carousel is going off of its, its axis here and uh, going down and like rolling down the Broadway. These words I like, I also like as long as we were together High plus, that's a good yeah, one. Yeah, high plus low. I really liked a lot too. I also gave a little heart to Frank on this last listen, but yeah, definitely like a great snake is one of those songs, and I feel like I can't remember what. Oh, I think it was Pine Grove. I think it was when we talked about Marigold, about like just a six oh, minute sure. long song that doesn't need to be six minutes long. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's a really that's a good comparison actually because this song is almost seven minutes long and it's about <laughs> six minutes and 40 seconds. The actual length, it's about six minutes and 40 seconds too long. Sorry. Yeah. Folks. It's not like uh, transmission, which is a seven and a half minute long song and needs to be longer, but th- you can listen to our discussion yeah. about that on my favorite podcast, uh, with, with just <laughs> Noah Marger <laughs> <laughs> with just me. Mason is nowhere to be found <laughs> on that episode. Um, but I, I actually, high and low is one of the only ones that I can actually think of off the top of my head, but I'm looking at the track list now so yeah album cuts like harumata uh, no uh, those days is coming great soon. snake <laughs> yeah those days and those days is coming soon those three like you know the album cuts you know i wasn't as into this time around again it had been a while since i really popped this one on so this was kind of me plunging into the cold pool again not really 100 sure what i was how i was gonna feel when i plunged back in and uh when i listened to it the second time just like you was a little bit more into it got it a little bit more and literally, you know, mere hours before 
we started recording, I realized that they just released their newest album on August 21st. And that is easily their best album to date. They have three albums. I'm really not a fan. If you did not like do Hollywood, I really would not recommend school their second album. Uh It's a concept album about a chimpanzee that goes to school with humans. I, so, yeah. I, uh, <laughs> I, I will be skipping that one. Uh, yeah, thank you for the okay. heads up. <laughs> Holy shit. Yeah. Oh boy. Okay. So, okay. <laughs> <laughs> so that's that, but do Hollywood. It's got some highs. It's got some lows. Does it have any highs plus lows? No, <laughs> <laughs> no, no chef. It does not. Um, it's interesting. I got some fast facts for you here. Ready? Noah's fast facts. No, it's fast facts. No, it's fast uh, what do we got here? Do you have a wife? Rar means I love you with dinosaur XD. So, this album, second week in a row, this album was produced by Jonathan Rado of Foxygen. Yeah, how about that? That was quite a. That was qu- I saw that on the Wikipedia too, and I was like, how about this? It's like we go from. Uh, or well, you know, we had talked about a secretly Canadian artist and Jason Molina on your podcast, yep. and then on the Sonny Dion Jr. show, we talked about uh, Alex Cameron, who's a, who's a secretly on secretly Canadian. And why don't you know what? Jonathan Rado gets a name drop in uh, End Is Nigh, and here he shows up as a producer on the Slim and Twigs album. W- what a world! What a world! <laughs> what a- what a small world. What the, What about the smallest world we live in? That's this one. Yep. <laughs> this is the worst time. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> so Jonathan Rado, you know, second week in a row, you know, on this show, really third week in a row, if you count uh, Mason and I's conversation over on my favorite podcast, which you can find on all the places you find your podcasts. A number of diverse pop music figures have publicly expressed admiration for the twigs. They are as follows. Mm-hmm. Elton John oh boy. has expressed public admiration for the Twigs, but it makes sense. Yeah. I 100% get why. Yeah. The Zombies, Boy George, Laura Marling. I don't actually know who Laura Marling Laura is. Laura Marling likes the Twigs? I like Laura Marling a lot, actually. Interesting. Who is that? She's like a, um, she's a f- uh, kind of folky songwriter, I would say. Um, she, she also just had an album that, ju- that just came out. Um, she has this song that I was obsessed with when I was a senior in high school called Sophia um, off of her album. I don't remember what it's called, but she she's Britt Marling's sister, former indie darling Britt Marling. Okay, don't know Britt Marling. Never mind then, but no, Laura Marling <laughs> is a really talented musician um, who I really, really like a lot and, and come back to some uh, with some with a little bit of so frequency. you're shocked that she would ever well, express public admiration. It's just for like the so you're saying like like it's it's three like kind of 60s, 70s, 80s like glam or uh, like kind of rock outfits, which makes sense that like they're on their radar given who their dad is. And then Laura Marling, who's a little more like kind of uh, uh, like laid back. Yeah, I'd say like laid back, kind of like um, not mean this in a disparaging way, but kind of like coffee house core. Um, sure. I mean, I kind of want to now. I want to listen to some more Laura Marling because that could be completely wrong, and she's much more. Uh, <laughs> she probably has a much Damn. deeper context. Maybe we bring a Laura Marling album on the show. We shall see. But that's interesting. That's interesting that she that she's listened to them. It was more of like a how about that? I was not expecting that to be the fourth person that you <laughs> said there. That I 
that I listed off. So then after Laura Marling, we got Gilbert O'Sullivan, who is most famous for Alone Again Naturally, of course. Gary Brooker of Procol Harum. Procol Harum, I believe, okay. is actually how you're supposed yeah, to say that. Yeah. Um, and then Gerard Way of My Chemical Romance. Now that makes sense. All of these, all of these people have expressed public adoration and uh, admiration of the Twigs themselves. So they got they got a little bit of a diverse fan base and a little bit of a uh, eclectic fan base or eclectic and diverse. They got a little bit of a prestigious fan base and an eclectic fan base. Mm-hmm. So there you go. Um, it's basically a Van Halen situation when they go in the studio. The brothers play every instrument oh, on their really? tracks. And on tour, they just bring two friends with them who they've been playing with apparently for like all their lives. And they just have them play keys and bass when they have gone on tour. Hmm. So it's kind of like a Van Halen situation where Eddie Van Halen's in there doing every instrument except David Lee Roth or, you know, um, the other dumb fuck. Uh, Sammy Hagar. Sammy Hagar. <laughs> yeah. Except one of them is singing. Uh, so that's them on this. And they're both, you know, singing uh, on their albums. The brothers are on this. So that is interesting, I would say. Mm-hmm. You also uh, have <laughs> – you also ha- can – I think on this album specifically, I just hear the Beatles so hard. I heard Beach I Boys. I hear a Beatles – you heard Beach Boys. I heard. I definitely heard some Brian Wilson on this. Um, and I think specifically, okay. uh, I, I think specifically, um, Pet Sounds. And I really feel like the kind of um, the thing that made Good Vibration such a radical song when it came out. Those weird, um, how that song kind of weaves in and out of different, like kind of textures and interesting sounds it seemed like that was i mean good vibrations is one of the most influential pop songs of all time and you kind of can't yeah 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 and you kind of can't be influenced by music of this era if like and and ignore good vibrations but good vibrations was a song that was really coming to my mind when i was listening to this music it's interesting you heard the beatles though yeah i heard the beatles mostly in their melody and it's not like it's not like all eras of the Beatles. I would say that like I was going through and like listening to a couple uh, cuts from their different albums. Mostly I heard rubber soul era Beatles makes and sense. a little yeah. bit of the white album. Yeah. Makes so sense. Those, those two in there. And uh, I think as a whole, a band that I would compare them to not just on this album, but on school and their newest album is super tramp. I think that they are hmm. very much influenced by Supertramp. I think especially on that second album, you can hear it, which again, I don't recommend that second album, but I think you can hear it. I like Supertramp more than I like the Lemon Twigs, but I think that they're greatly influenced by the types of songs that they make and the types of melodies that you hear overall as a band. But I really heard the Beatles on this one. Uh, I think my Mercedes Valuable Player on this one, probably as like far as tracks are concerned baby baby yeah but specifically the drop quote unquote in baby baby where it goes quiet for like one or two seconds and then they just go into that like yeah 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 part so that's probably like specifically my mercedes valuable player on this do you have a mercedes valuable player i think just the song baby baby i mean it's it's i don't think that it it I didn't give it the heart the first time around just because I was such a, a little cranky pants. But when I was definitely yeah. um, doing my second listen, 
I, I definitely perked up on my walk and I'm like, oh, this is a good song. Like, this is a really good song. This is something I'm enjoying listening to and being outside and alive right now and listening to this song. So I think it's, <laughs> sure. it's baby, baby, just like as a whole for me. Uh, I didn't give it enough time to like get like with you, like with like you mentioned that drop to like know the specific ins and outs. It's just like part of the wider tapestry of the album. But since it is like kind of the highest point for me, it has that has to be my uh, Mercedes valuable player for this for this particular album this week. I mean, makes sense. I think that, you know, <laughs> these guys, this album, like you said, it very much does have that first album feel to it. And I, I just want to make it very clear. I don't think this is a bad album by any stretch. Yeah, of yeah. I don't think... I am definitely... Knowing how young they were and giving it, like, two two spins, I'm definitely lighter on it than I was. But I don't know if this is going to be something I'm going to be returning to. I also wouldn't say it's sure. a bad album because there's, like, nothing actively offensive on it. But it's very much just an, a, a piece of work made by, like, actual, like, kids, you know? Kids that had, like, sure. you know, access to a lot of music training. I had no idea that they were playing all the instruments on this. Um, and kids that are trying to figure out their sort of, like, the routine in the studio, probably, and how comfortable they are on different instruments. And also just, like, having fun and being experimental. And the thing with experiments is, you know, sometimes you have a positive experiment that gets you a cool chain reaction and you can like have a little like vinegar and baking soda volcano. And sometimes sure. you have a bad experiment and you, uh, you lose a limb. You go blind, you go blind. in seventh yes. period chemistry. You go blind in <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah. That thing that's happened to all of us. Uh, this isn't like quite yeah, a go. This is blind. a very normal show. Yeah, this isn't a thing that is. This isn't like a go blind in seventh period chemistry, uh, type uh thing for me. It's just like a. It was nice. It was interesting. Um, but I think if this gets like aside from the the handful of tracks that we've mentioned. So I want to prove to you these words, baby, baby, and for me, as long as we're together, high plus low, and Frank. This is like a light conditional recommend. I think. Um, just because I really feel like this would test people's patience if they listen to the whole thing through just once. Um, but if you just like, you know, just check out this handful of songs, uh, I think that you'll get something out of that. I also like that their, um, their album cover for this is them just hanging out by the entrance to the 101 off of Franklin, (laughs) Franklin Boulevard here. Yeah, exactly. I was, I was actually trying to figure out what, uh, freeway on ramp that was because it is the 101 going south. Oh, so maybe it's not the one on Franklin. Yeah, no, I think it might be the one by the Silver Lake Medical Center. You know what I'm talking about? Oh, sure, sure, sure. Yeah, like Alvarado. I think maybe. Yeah, could. Yeah, maybe. Again, if anybody it's, it's... out there knows this album and knows this album cover, please tell us what on ramp this is. Yeah, take a picture in Los Angeles. Take a picture in your mask at this on ramp for uh (laughs) and send it to us either uh uh via Instagram DM or via the USPS. Uh we can put parody, parody, parody. We are not responsible or liable for any injury. Parody, yeah parody, parody, parody. Please don't be anything please don't do anything uh silly or reckless folks because some assholes on a podcast told you to do it. (laughs) (laughs) Pretty much. Um I also have to give this a conditional recommend. Uh, I was actually surprised by how much different this sounded to me listening to it for this podcast. I expected mm-hmm. to be like, oh, man, I'm going to slap Mason silly with this one. And uh, we actually had somewhat similar 
experiences with this one. So I'm going to give it a conditional recommend as well. I know that doesn't happen all too often on this show, but uh, I'm going to give it a conditional rec as well. Uh, Baby, baby, I want to prove to you these words. And as long as we're together, I would say are my highlight tracks. Don't really need to listen to the whole album unless you like what you hear. Maybe you'll have a different experience with it, but I would solidly recommend their newest album. I listened to the full thing today. Not every song is amazing, but it's better than this album. So I would actually give their newest album How about a full that? recommend because They've gr- that will and that will act as my like uh, yeah. little like recommendo. Yeah, so they, there you they, go. they grew as artists. Very nice, very good, very fun. We love, we love it. it. You do love Speaking it. Speaking of growing hey. as a person. And wow. uh, growing, not showing. Uh... <laughs> Speaking of, it was, you know, I, what does he fucking say? What does George say? Uh, I was in the pool. I, was in the pool. I just watched that episode today, too. The Ham- the, the classic episode, The Hampton, season five. The, the penultimate episode of season five. Uh, I was in the pool. I was in the pool. I was in the pool. Uh, it must have sh- it must have shrunk in the wash. <laughs> that's actually a really so that's actually a really mean George episode because Jerry's girlfriend is is Jewish and has a kosher diet and he feeds her lobster. He feeds her shellfish. I yeah, know. which is really not cool, dude. <laughs> like I know that. Dude. Yeah, really not cool. Uh, don't do that. <laughs> Jerry and all those characters. It really dawned on me because I actually did a mini Seinfeld rewatch couple months ago maybe like june july couple months ago whatever and i was watching some of the big time episodes because i watched all of seinfeld like early high school right that sure. was like one of the first shows that i ever like watched all the way through and those those people you know if you, it's like the thing with michael scott like he's fun to watch on tv but if you knew him in real life you would be punching him in the yeah, head as hard that's as why like even though all of the men on that show uh, who are all incredibly gross like can just land like total dimes like as dates but yes. they all get dumped by the end of the episode <laughs> like, it's, exactly it's like and it's kind of like larry david really is like the fucking secret sauce to that show no like, oh the, my god 100 that. that's why like curb is like i'm like I love Seinfeld. It's my one of my comfort shows, especially now. But Curb is like such a better, more cohesive like show because it's just like the all Larry David. Um, yeah, yeah it, it's not distilled in any way. It's straight Larry David. Yeah, it's like one of my favorite anecdotes is that he, like in season in season four, it's really apparent when anytime Kramer comes on, there's like wild applause, and that really pissed yes. off Larry David, which is the funniest. <laughs> <laughs> to me that he instituted a no clapping for Kramer rule for future seasons. Dude, he's such a little he's such a little schmuck sometimes, but this is I not do the Larry him. David uh, podcast, folks. We're not talking about uh whatever works here. We would never talk about whatever works here. <laughs> I was trying to Dude, we will never be talking about whatever works on this podcast. As, as long as we both shall live, yeah, we will not yeah, be talking about We would about have to run out of works. movies, which would never happen before we talked about whatever. Yeah, that's like bottom. I don't never seen it. I have no plans to see it. But that is bottom, (laughs) bottom of the fucking barrel. But you know what's not bottom of the barrel, Mason? Is the movie that you picked? Do you want to give it a little intro? Yes. So this was. uh, I think this was actually on Noe's list. And when it came to wait, did you look at my list and figure out what you were going to pick based on looking at my list? So I think that this was like a. This has been kind of in my mind for a little bit. Um, the movie is Stranger Than Fiction, the 2006, uh, comedy directed by Mark Forster, written by Zach Helm, starring, uh, Will Ferrell, Maggie Gyllenhaal, Emma Thompson, Queen Latifah, Tony Hale, Tom Holtz, Dustin Hoffman, Dustin Hoffman, thank you, Linda Hunt, uh, amongst others, TJ and Dave show up in this movie, 
Um, I know. I was shocked. I could not believe I had missed that all these years. Yeah, this but movie. this was uh, the movie Stranger Than Fiction. And honestly, it was like, I've been listening to a lot of Blank Check also as my kind of like comfort during uh, either pandemic or, or work. Uh, and they, uh, both the hosts of that show have been talking mad shit about this, this movie for years. And I'm like, I remember really, really loving this movie. And honestly, like it had been on your list. Um, I had always kind of considered it something of a, a hidden gem. It had always been something that a movie that had meant a lot to me and hearing them shit talk it so much was like, I got to watch this again as an adult and see how I feel about this. Sure. Uh, And actually, you know what? To uh, this, technically, this should have also been a a full Mason's Choice episode because Noah chose the the album last week. Don't remind me. But (laughs) the last time that we had a full Mason's Choice album, it was, well, it was Robert Palmer's Clues, which you really liked, but it was also right now wrong then. Uh, oh, was that was that the double? I yeah, didn't that, was, that, was, the, the that was the double. So it was a good album that that week, and a, a a movie which you did not like, and is in my letterbox top four. Um, <laughs> but uh, you know, you said that, and I did not want that burden, so I passed it to <laughs> to take the album here, and he gave me a little cherry on top with this short film. And then I I thought about it for a couple minutes, and I thought, you know, what would be a fun movie now that I'm back in Chicago. Uh, would be to talk about one of my early favorite Chicago movies, uh, Stranger Than Fiction. So that is why we're talking about it today. I have actually, uh, if you want to vamp for a second, I do still have this DV- this movie on DVD. Uh, it wasn't streaming anywhere for free, but I went into my big binder of DVDs, and I, I have my little DVD here. Yeah, the Apple. I think I have... Uh, in storage, the same DVD, and it is the little Apple. And I was always confused, like when I when I first saw the DVD, I'm like, oh, why is it the Apple? And it ultimately makes sense why the Apple is there. Is it the best thing you could put on the DVD? I think maybe, I, maybe it's not. Definitely, like I, I did, I never lost track of that that DVD because of the Apple cover. The only other sure. thing that I could think that would be a good. Um, like kind of fun DVD face for that would be the watch. Yeah, that's probably better <laughs> to be honest. <laughs> I don't know. You. I like the Apple though. And it may just be because it, I have like such a strong attachment to the, the DVD itself. And I never wanted it to be anything else. And I'm perfectly happy with the Apple as the Apple. Whenever I see that Apple, I think of the Beatles, you know, uh, I think that's of the fair. Beatles yeah, I get that. But it's also like, I don't know. I was eating a green apple. Yeah, who cares? I was eating a green apple earlier, and I'm like, I can't believe that I get to eat a green apple and then talk about Stranger Than Fiction. So, uh, yeah. So this is a um, this is a. So what, what's your history with this movie? Did you get? Did you so see this in theaters? You, you would have been a, a wee a wee man. You would have been like nine or ten. I would have been old. nine. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I I was delighted when you said that we were going to do Stranger Than Fiction when we were putting the show together. Cause this, like you said, this was on my list of movies to bring on the show. And in a lot of ways, I'm shocked. We hadn't talked about it sooner. Uh, it is in my mind, kind of one of my go-to hidden gem movies as well. I'm like, wow, this movie doesn't really get talked about a lot. It's very fun. It's, I wrote this down and I think that I believe it. I feel like this is a great movie and this is not a slight on the movie at all. I feel like this is a great movie to show to like a late elementary schooler or middle schooler who is like interested in movies. 
Does that make sense? No, because that's the exact age that I was when this movie came out. And I had... I remember this movie coming out. I remember them shooting it around Chicago. And then I remember... I think they were shooting in the summer. And I was doing stuff at the Facets uh, Children's Film Camp there that summer. Didn't see them shooting it. But I was watching a featurette on this DVD where they're talking about the location and scouting around the city, which was like a featurette that I watched all the time as a kid. Um, And they had, uh, her name is, I believe, Brenda or Barbara Sexton, who was and maybe still is, I'm not 100% sure, the managing director of of the Illinois Film Office. And when I did this facets camp, she would always come and like you know, kind of, oh, that's yeah, cool. she would always come and just sort of like close out the camp and like hype up the film, the children's film festival. It's interesting that um, it actually was filmed in Chicago. I don't think there's any reference to the city that they're ever in specifically. Is there? No, there, you see one Chicago tribune. Um, you see the Drury Lane theater, which isn't there anymore, at least not in the city. Um, so it's a fun little, like, this movie and the movie The Lake House are two fun time capsule movies for me, because this is when, like, I was in, like, elementary and middle school, and I just loved the city, and I loved going downtown. But I did, yeah, and I I wrote down some of the street names that they say, like, on the bus or in the movie, and not all- Kroniker? Yeah, Kroniker, not, there's not a street in Chicago called Kroniker. Um, they also, uh, Will Ferrell says something about, uh, to, uh, Maggie Gyllenhaal, like- Oh, I didn't know you took like the the Metropolitan Transit Authority, and I'm just like yeah, the MTA. The MTA yeah, it's like it's it's the Chicago Transit Authority. It's the it's the beloved CTA here. But I also th- you dumb th- piece of yeah, shit. <laughs> but I also think that like um, it's it's nice. I, one of my favorite things about this movie and and watching it as a kid was like, you know, growing up, and even now I think you know, you watch maybe not as much now. But when I was growing up, um all media is either took place in LA or New York. And if there was like, uh, you know, a, you know, a neutral city, it was likely shot there or in Toronto or Vancouver or something. And when I saw this movie, it was a movie that could have take to, could take place anywhere, but they shot, they chose to shoot it in Chicago. It was literally seeing yourself on screen, but, seeing yourself because it was your city and you recognize yeah it's city. like oh i recognize like daily plaza i recognize the picasso i recognize um uh uh so, some other places you know um but what i was gonna say is i think that they say mta because the cta is actually pretty strict about using their their name and like copywriting that the gotcha. yeah so the band chicago uh, you know, twenty five six to yeah. four. Uh, you're the inspiration. Y- your favorite yeah. from like soft rock compilation CDs commercials on Cartoon Network when you were a kid. Um, yes. Their I think first album, and they started. My dad told me this like when I was a kid, and so I'm basing this off of something my dad told me. But they started their band as the Chicago Transit Authority, and the CTA Uh-oh. was like what the fuck are you doing? <laughs> like, and so they took off, they dropped the transit authority to make it cleaner and just called themselves Chicago moving. Because forward. 25 or six to four is about how you get somewhere. Yeah. Right? That's you like take the 20. Yeah. You mean. take the 25 bus to the six to the four, you know, and uh, fuck, let me pull up my, you talk about this movie. I'm going to see what those bus routes are. <laughs> and if that makes any remotely remote amount of sense, 
But uh, damn. Yeah. But I think it's twenty five. You can take the twenty five or the six to the four. That's why it's twenty five or six to four. I always you don't take the twenty five to the six to the four. I always that would just be dumb, dude. Are you kidding? I me? always uh so. Now, would you look at this? There is no 25 route on the CTA. There's the 24 Wentworth, and there's the 26 South Shore Express. But there is no wow. 24. How about that? There's, there's definitely a 4 and a 6. Oh, yeah, because the 4 is the Cottage Grove bus, and the 6 is the Jackson Park Express. How silly of me. <laughs> of fucking course. Are you kidding uh, me? But I- uh, yeah, <laughs> this, this was on my list as well, like I had said, to bring on the show. This was... It was either a Marger Family Classic for one of two reasons, and it wasn't both. It was either a Marger Family Classic in the sense that we could all watch this as a family. This was like a fun movie that we all liked to watch together because we all actually enjoyed watching it Mm -hmm. together. Mm -hmm. Or when I got to pick the movie and I was like trying to pick something that I thought that everyone would somewhat enjoy, but I also wanted to watch something that was artistically rich and fulfilling, especially when I was younger. Mm I would go with Stranger Than Fiction mm-hmm. because it's got Will Ferrell. It's interesting on a like story and like a meta narrative level. And when you know when you're in middle school or like late elementary school, you don't know that, but like it is. You know, that's just like, yeah, what but, is going on. Right, right, right. But I think that that's you're right. Is like this is one of the earliest ex- pieces of media that I can remember that like really played with like kind of um, played with like structure almost, or played with like kind of a meta narrative in a way that was like really interesting. Absolutely. And that's like the draw of the film. And I was reading some miscellaneous letterboxed reviews about it and people, you know, like to shit on it because they're like, oh, this is just a Kaufman ripoff. And I don't think that's fair for a number of reasons. Yes, there is the adaptation feel to it, but this does not tackle the same quandaries that adaptation does. This has a similar like vibe as far as like there is an author who is writing something that is coming to life but adaptation is dealing with much heavier much more adult much more meta yeah. things than stranger than fiction yeah. this is like the this is adaptation junior if you really want no, to No I think far. I think that the, you're absolutely right about that and I do you know I think that it kind of uh I think we'll talk about this later or I want to talk about this later it kind of backs away from kind of deeper existential questions in a way that Charlie Kaufman would like dive headfirst into the shallow end of the pool to explore. <laughs> <laughs> yes. He's really big into diving into the shallow end of the pool. Yeah. These days. Um, ever since that he was given the reins as a director, he's like, Oh, it's a three foot pool. Awesome. I'm going to jack <laughs> right my onto the ledge. And I'm going to get all the old women sunbathing wet. Yeah. So, uh, I, I either picked this because everyone in the family actually liked this and I was like, oh, I'm safe to pick this. No one's going to give me shit for this. Or I picked it and people gave me shit for it and I didn't care because everyone was fine with watching it. But uh, I've loved this movie for a long time. I've always thought it was somewhat underrated. And so I'm really glad that we're bringing it onto the show. Uh, I don't think you can talk about this movie without talking about its great ensemble cast as well. Really one of the best casts, honestly. It's amazing when you actually look at the people who are assembled. And I think I mentioned on my other podcast when I was talking about Adam Sandler with my friend Robert Franco that one of the people that I said who couldn't – one of the comedians 
who tried to do drama and I didn't think was very effective at it was Will Ferrell. Like I named yeah, him. Name. Yeah. I was like, this is a guy who has occasionally tried to do drama and didn't really seem all that. Not, I, mean, I don't want to say successful, but like never really that interesting as far as like what he was doing. Or really wise. Whereas someone like, well, like someone like Jim Carrey or Adam Sandler, it just feels like such a like, oh, that makes sense, you know, why that they're able to step into that other mode, you know, or not even other mode, but they're able to translate so well. Where with Will Ferrell, it never seemed as that way. And in this movie, it's not quite a full-blown Will Ferrell comedy like it normally is, but it's not adaptation either. It exists in this somewhat middle ground where he's basically playing the most restrained version of a Will Ferrell character, and that's why I think he's so successful. He, that he plays a guy, yeah, and I think he plays a guy that wants to, that like, I don't want to say wants to be a Will Ferrell character, but there is like, when you get those couple moments uh, early in the movie and it's only early in the movie where he like kind of uh, unleashes and isn't like, um, you know, yeah, or, or he isn't like when he's really upset with like, after he's hearing the voice and uh, it tells him that he's going to die basically like, and he's like trashing his apartment that's really the most Will Ferrell that he kind of gets. And totally. it's, he's a good, you, you know, uh, like with, with Ricky Bobby or with uh, the stepbrothers, basically, like what made Will Ferrell such a good uh, actor in those movies was the kind of like, he was playing guys that had no, uh, he was playing guys that lived in a society and lived in a, in a culture and lived in a kind of community that, um, basically supported his bad behavior <laughs> if not like Pretty and much. endorsed it and this guy plays th- basically the polar opposite of that you know like i i you think of like i'm not too familiar with his like dr- really dramatic work like i never saw everything must go because it's like yeah. why would you but it's like he's yeah. on the complete other side of a will ferrell movie uh, or a typical will ferrell character with this uh with playing howard crick uh, or Harold Crick and Harold, Harold Crick, Crick yeah, yeah. yeah, and uh, it's interesting. Like I was watching the scene um, between um, Tony Hale and uh, Will Ferrell, like when he goes to move in with Tony Hale, and I'm like, yeah, you know, this could like Harold Crick could also be played by like Tony Hale. Like this is very much a Tony Hale like kind of character, and I was sure. like kind of having like a little like you know, kind of uh, a thought experiment, like what this movie would look like with Tony Hale as the main guy. But yeah, this is like a very atypical Will Ferrell performance, but he's so, um, but he's like committed to it. Like he doesn't seem like disengaged and he's really like, he's doing a good job of um, kind of, I, I still think kind of surprising me with how soulful he can get in this movie. Absolutely. He's so tender, especially in those scenes with Maggie Gyllenhaal where he really gets to be tender. You know, I think one of the best scenes in the movie, I'm not going to say it's the best scene, but it's when they're, you know, starting to actually, you know, act on their feelings for each other. And he's in the apartment and he starts playing the guitar and that whole sequence where he's actually letting loose 
and he's singing, which great song choice for Whole Wide World by Reckless oh, Eric for that to be the song. Listen, that was a song that I had bought with iTunes money because I love this movie so much and had on one of my very first iPods and I listened to that song nonstop, baby. That's a great song. It is a great song. I can't remember who does a like stripped down version of that song. I got to look this up, yeah. but there is someone out there who does a like stripped down. Oh, you know who I think it is? oh it's cage. The elephant. Oh, you're saying cage. The elephant. I was going to say, I think the proclaimers have a version of whole wide world. That's kind of stripped down. Interesting. I was thinking of the, I was thinking of the cage, the elephant version. They have like a more like stripped down. Maybe it's a live version. I can't remember off the top of my head, but they have a great version of whole wide world as well. A great cover. But again, you've got Maggie Gyllenhaal in this movie who, she doesn't really get a lot of reps or feel like I don't really see her in a lot of stuff, but every time she's in a movie, I dig her. And I think the Gyllenhaals yeah. are a little bit polarizing, but I think she's great in this. Movie. I love Maggie Gyllenhaal. I'm going to check this because I was wrong, maybe wrong about it before. And I want to double check, but I thought that she was a birthday twin of mine. I'm just checking this really. Quick. Whoa. Uh, she Whoa. is Maggie Gyllenhaal is indeed a birthday twin of mine. Uh, no, I really wow. like her a lot too. And I think you're right. She doesn't, she's very, um, I think she's a, she's smart with her choices in the, the roles that she plays. Uh, and she's never disappointed me. I do think though, and here is my, um, now would be a good time for me to get into my little, little, little gripe corner. I, oh, Mason's gripe corner. This character is getting right on the edge of a manic pixie dream girl for me and i have i have i think a solution that could have made this movie more interesting and i want to know what you think about this so this movie harold crick is the only person that hears the voice here's emma thompson here's the narrator um but what what i want to suggest is what if Mystery Maggie? Right. What if Maggie Gyllenhaal could hear the voice of the narrator as well? And this was kind of okay. like this was like it, it. It was like this narrator's trying to push us together, but we don't like it, and it becomes a thing that they have to solve together. You know what I'm saying? So, I think it becomes a different movie when you do that. Just straight up, I think, I think it, it becomes, becomes a little bit of a different. movie. I think movie. it becomes Stranger Than Fiction plus. Plus. <laughs> doesn't make any fucking sense. <laughs> I don't know about that. At least for what the movie is and how that would actually change the movie. I actually think I'd be less interested in the movie in that sense because to me, the relationship is not the real focus of the film. It's an element of Harold's growth as a person. But to me, the movie is about Harold living life basically unafraid to make mistakes and living life the way he wants to be instead of how he thinks he should be behaving, which is how Maggie Gyllenhaal's character lives her life. She literally talks about, you know, how she's an anarchist or at least alludes to it. And they have that whole little back and forth with it. Which is, uh, she lives yeah, her she's life. Also like a hot, like a Hollywood version of an anarchist in 2006. And I'm watching this and I'm just like, yeah, this is sure fine. If this is what you think an anarchist is, you're not like I'm not gonna fight you. You got some of the stuff there, but it's also like 
well, anyways, like, like I don't. It's 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 not hardcore. I it's not a hardcore reading of that. Like, there's no like, actually, not talking about Marx in the movie ever. She never once is like, oh, let me tell you about Marx. Yeah, she know? doesn't like have a copy of like the Conquest of Bread, like that she's selling, and she's like gives to Harold Crick. <laughs> no, which would be a crazy fucking. I don't know, but like movie. my other thing with that is like. You know, when you see the kind of drafts of this novel that uh, Karen or Karen Eiffel is writing, it's a th- it's like a thick book, and like this is a short movie. It's like kind of the perfect length. There's not anything I would like kind of remove. I I think it's a hundred. It's like a hundred minute long movie, which is like a perfect length for a movie. It's actually a little close. It's actually closer to two hours actually oh, when it's all said and done well, at least my version was an hour fi- an hour 53 well with credits well and everything. you know what uh then it's a well-paced movie and kudos to the editor for making this a good movie uh but, thank you chef yes thank you chef but I, I the thing is like i can buy into this movie as an adult watching this i can buy into this movie still you know i still really like this movie totally i still found it very charming and very sweet Still very clever, laughed a lot, um, was really entertained by it. But I'm also seeing, like, the kind of... I'm seeing, like, the book as it exists in the movie, as this physical thing, like this prop, and seeing how big it is. And I'm like, there's more to this book than what the movie is telling us. And what I think it is is probably, like, with my knowledge of, like long books like that probably a lot of stuff about the maggie gyllenhaal character some other folks and like i get it that this needs to be like this is more like like the, there's that dustin hoffman i also love that the dust i, I want to say this too this is a thing i wrote in my notebook i love that dustin hoffman's character in this is a literary literature professor and not a critic so that he has like a yes. kind of academic um read on things and he's not like I don't know. I feel like if he was a critic, that's kind of the wrong move here because he doesn't have like a love or a passion for the material. And I think that that's kind of his big motivation for helping Harold is like, this is an interesting story. Um, that's interesting that you would say that about a critic, though, because I think critics often do have a love and okay, appreciation maybe that's the wrong thing. for sure, their subject that's, matter. Maybe that's the wrong thing, the wrong way to say it. But I love that he's a professor. Uh, he gets to wear a lot of cool suits. Got to gets to sit have like office hours. Yeah, and stuff. his wardrobe is great. Great wardrobe in this movie. Um, but I really feel like what's like in I get I was curious when I saw how big that book uh, was about like the rest of the novel, and I feel like there's more in there about Anna Pascal, and I'm like, I don't think it would change the movie too much if there was, you know, maybe if like it doesn't have to be like. Maybe it doesn't have to be as big of a change as, like, uh, oh, you know, she hears it and she, like, resists it like Howard does. It could just be, like, oh, I heard the voice, too, basically. Um, And, like, her resistance to it is, like, I don't want to be dating this IRS guy. And she has to kind of be, like, oh, you know, maybe, like... She starts to. See, it's not the point. The, it's not the point. I don't know, but like, I know what you're saying, but it's not the point. You're overthinking this to an insane degree. I, it's not the point. But you could still have the moral of the story be like Harold Crick learns how to live his life, and have Anna Pascal be more of a character other than just like basically a reward. And it's not even a reward because he doesn't do a lot of acting. This is the other thing about this movie that's like. This is just like my brain is coming out of my ears. It's like 
I, I'm not sure how much in this movie is Harold Crick's active choices and how much is the uh, narrator. And I also want to know what happens when the book is done and the movie is over. Because, like, the way that this... See, that is interesting because, it, at least in my brain and my read of it, is that at first it is the narrator. You know, it is the narrator making these choices, but that is what he learns is that he does control his fate. That is what the entire movie leads up to about. That's the whole point is that he does get to make yeah, those decisions and he does break free. But, uh, spoilers, but even like she changes her story because he's a real person. Right. He changed his own narrative. I I don't know. It's 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 like it's not it's not I I am wanting this movie to just be like 5% more interested in the sort of philosophical underpinnings of whatever's going on. And it's I st- I still really like this movie. I really liked what was going on, but right now I really just want there to be 5% to be 5% more in this kind of like this this idea that it has. This interesting idea that it's like what if you basically met god what if you met god basically is what this this is what if you realize that you were you had access to the divine or access to somebody who had control over your um your your life basically and it's hard for me to and when i'm watching this movie i'm like anytime he makes the decision like to go get to the the guitar or whatever um it's like this is the story that karen eiffel's writing this is the story that zach hallam as a screenwriter is writing and I don't know, like, it's it was hard for me to parse, like, what the active decisions Harold Crick was making as a person and as a character in this in this narrative. And I kind of wanted this to be, I wanted this to be a movie where, like, you have more of maybe a head where you are, there's no narrator voice. You're kind of just with Harold Crick in this routine, and then he hears the narrator or something. Like, I guess you hear that, like, he hears the narrator, and then, but you're in this movie already from this omniscient point of view, and it just kind of feels like you're watching. You're thinking your, you're, you're thinking your I'm way asking, out of what this movie is. I am asking questions that the movie itself is bringing up. <laughs> I'm not doing anything too crazy here, and like I'm saying, still love this movie, still really like it, but it is asking, it is begging these questions, and I don't think it's bringing the, it, I don't think it's entirely bringing it to the finish line, is all I'm trying to say. I, That's you fair. Know, I, I just, I really like this movie, and, and it's, probably something that I will rewatch because it's like nice and it's, it's light. It's not too complicated, but it's bringing up these, 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 these questions about like destiny and fate and predetermination and not quite bringing it to the finish line. Just for me, just for me. I, it's kind of a, your mileage may vary that's thing. That's, that's just, that's just me though. I, you may be right. I that's may fair. be uh, thinking about this too much, but it's, I don't know. <laughs> Listen, and I think that that is oftentimes people's, like, gripes with it. You know, I think that that's, like, a common thing. I think that if people aren't into this movie, it's because they feel like it's not fully realized or it's not fully thought out or it's not fully fleshed out in I some mean, way, I, shape, I or form. I think that it's, like, you know, this is, it's, a, it's a really well-written movie. I think it's a really well-written movie. It's a really well-directed movie. It's, 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 I don't have any major problems with, like, the structure or anything. I just wish that there was, like, 5% more of the special sauce there just to really, like, on the dish. You know? That's really all that's I'm fair. asking for. That's fair. 
Yeah, it is a little bit like a more nerfed version of the Truman Show in that sense, because the Truman Show is all about what you're talking about as far as like, you know, what is, who is in control of all this? Do I have fate or free will? You know, am I a real person, basically? (laughs) Uh, which I don't think that movie it falls under the umbrella of this show. I think that movie is pretty universally rated. Like I feel like people rate that, that movie. That, well. Yeah, that movie is well rated, and I uh, some t- I, I like that movie a lot. And I sometimes wish people would stop fucking talking about it. Like that's how I feel about the Truman Show. There you go. Uh, as far as the rest of the uh, ensemble goes, Emma Thompson, like you said, is fantastic in this. She is so not afraid to like do insane shit or look crazy because this is the same time that Nanny McPhee was out oh, and she yeah. looked insane. In Nanny oh McPhee. my God. I love Emma Thompson so much. There was, it was, Oh my God. What year was it? It was a couple of years ago. She was in late night. And then there was another Emma Thompson movie. And I went to the movies and saw two Emma Thompson trailers in a row. And I thought, this is such a treat. This is so nice. We're getting Emma Thompson, <laughs> two Emma Thompson's in a row. Love it. You love to see her. I love her so much. She's an Oscar. You love to see yeah, it. She's an Oscar winner, right? Did she yep. win for Sense and Sensibility? For writing Sense and Sensibility? I think she has won something. I will go have that's uh not something I did. I didn't actually get any fast facts for this, to be totally honest no with you. I was deal. just ready to talk about the movie. But uh we also have Queen Latifah in this movie, who we don't really seek a lot of Queen Latifah anymore, so it was fun to see her. She's got a really great screen presence, and we just don't really see her in things anymore. So I really love great to see Queen. seeing Queen Latifah. Love seeing Queen Latifah. Could do could use some more Latifah. Uh, she won for she did win for sense, Emma Thompson did win for sense of sensibility and won for best actress in Howard's End. So how about that? Oh, that's right. Okay, that? Howard's. Did she win for writing for Sense and Sensibility, she or did, did she win she for She won for writing for Sense and Sensibility. There's nothing she can't do. Emma Thompson, Renaissance, Damn. Renaissance performer. Renaissance Good. performer. We also, of course, have Dustin Hoffman, uh, as we've talked about before. Uh, which I I'll finish reading off some of the other notable people, and then I'll give you my Mercedes Valuable Player for this movie, which I think you might. It's something we haven't talked about yet, so maybe you'll be surprised that I picked this. It. But uh, of course, then we have Tony Hale, like we've said, who heat check performer. He's not really in a lot of scenes, but when he is on screen, it's like, oh my god, that's Buster. You know, that was yeah. like right off the coattails of Arrested Development fame. So like, if you were into Arrested Development, that had to have been such a treat to see Buster oh, totally. on the big screen. Or if you were into uh, uh, Volkswagen commercials, it must have been a real big treat to see Tony Hale. <laughs> what the fuck? What the fuck does that? He mean? was in a Volkswagen commercial. They parodied. They kind of parodied it on uh, Arrested Development when he's doing uh, Mr. Roboto. There was like a Volkswagen. Oh, okay. It was like it was it was a commercial that he was in for the Bug, I think, and it was like showing how like soundproof it was. Because it's like uh, the commercial is just a Tony Hale like dancing in this in this car and you don't hear anything and someone opens the door and you hear he's listening to Mr. Roboto and then like they're both dancing. Good. Oh, whatever. Forky. Forky. He's <laughs> Forky perfect. also. We love Tony Hale. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Forky is the unofficial mascot of this show, I mm-hmm. think. Um, then you have Linda Hunt. Again, she's in one scene, but she crushes it. Tom Hulse, of course, one scene, crushes it. And then... barely in the scene because she's not even in the actual set, but Kristen Chenoweth is in this movie as well. Wait, when does she show up in this? Show up in this. She, she's the one who's interviewing Karen Eiffel when they, spoiler alert. That's right. Spoiler alert. When they discover that Karen Eiffel is the author who is controlling Harold uh, Craig's life. So Kristen Chenoweth shows up in spoiler. this. Spoiler. Uh, I forgot that. And on the DVD, too, I think they have, like, a special feature, which is that full interview, which is just them, like, doing improv back and forth. And it's really funny. 
<laughs> that is so cute. I would actually love to see that. Do you think that's online somewhere? Well, who knows? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but uh, you know, the only other thing I really have to say about this, besides the fact that the Sonic guys were in this, that I you know, I completely didn't realize Common that misconception until now. that it's not TJ and Dave, that is TJ and Peter Gross as the Sonic guys. TJ and Dave were the... Uh, and Peter Gross looks just like <laughs> Dave Pasquazi. Oh, is that not... Is that not the Sonic guys, both of them then? I'm pretty sure that in this movie it's TJ and Dave, not TJ and Peter Gross. But let me double check that, actually. Uh, but okay. it's definitely TJ. Um, TJ is definitely in this movie. And uh, I did see... Oh, you know what? You're right. It is the Sonic guys. It, it's not Dave Pasquazi. Dave Pasquazi looks uh, looks a little different than Peter Gross. But Thank you, Chef. Uh, my Mercedes Valuable Player for this is actually people who have worked... On a movie that we most recently covered, well, not most recently, actually, two episodes ago that we covered. They worked on Birth as well, and that is Kevin Thompson, the production designer, and Ford Wheeler, one of the set decorators for this movie. Wow! As well as Steven, I don't know if this person worked on Birth, probably not, and I can't say this person's last name because it's an insane last name with a Z stuck in the middle there, but it's Steven Andrzej... Andre Zajuski, I think is how you say it. Andre Zajuski, who is the location manager for this. Because, again, you're seeing this movie for the first time. The meta narrative thing is like, you know, the big like takeaway from the film and the themes of the movie. But for me, watching this movie for the third, fourth, fifth, whatever time, I'm now struck by how great the production design in this movie is. Every location feels like the most extreme version of that location. And that doesn't always mean with the most colors or the most interesting, like crazy lines or whatever, but like there's that shot, which could be straight out of 2001, a space odyssey where Harold it's in the beginning of the movie where he's going through the files. And they're like that part where it's like, and it feels like the ocean. It hears the ocean when he rubs the folders up against each other, that establishing shot in that completely white room with Harold standing on the right, the right third of the screen is so awesome and so purposeful. The way that uh, Dave's apartment uh, looks, Tony Hale's God, apartment looks. That, it's I love so that apartment. fun. I love that apartment building so much, and it was always a treat after seeing this movie, even into college, even into like earlier this year when I was commuting into the city, um, to see those apartments from the train because where the train would come from my hometown – uh, would swing right into Union Station, right on the sort of south part of the river there, and th- you can see his apartments if you're sitting on the right side of oh, wow. the train. Uh, and it, it was always a treat because I would go past and say, oh, there's Tony Hale's apartment from... Um, and I love that they went with that specific apartment too because I think the uh, maybe the, I'll say, l- less creative choice. Still would have been a good location, definitely, but... Maybe the less creative choice would require, you know, would be for the would be for Dave to live at like Marina Towers or something, the corncob buildings on the cover of the Wilco album. Um, oh sure, but the, he lives in these cool. Uh, I think they're called the Riverview Apartments because you have the view of the river there in Chicago. <laughs> but they are uh, really it's like this kind of concrete, like kind of honeycomb looking. Um, this honeycomb looking apartment complex. It's really. Uh, such a cool part of the city and such a cool um, bit of bit of architecture there. Uh, yeah. And even Harold's apartment, which is, you know, 
very neat and very put together and very bland. It's not uninteresting. Every location in this movie is interesting yeah. in its own way and says so much about the people who inhabit this Yeah, space. and I think that, that his apartment is one of the only sets in the movie, as far as I could tell. Totally. Yeah, just, I watched, like, when I was watching that quick uh, featurette before we were recording here, um, I think that they, I don't know if it was just for the, um, we'll say the thing that happens during his day off. I don't know if it was just for that part that they constructed a set or they constructed a set for his whole apartment complex for everything. Yeah, but I think that that, could, that may have been a set. Um, but yeah, I love Maggie Gyllenhaal's uh, also her bakery there. So here's what my Mercedes. Totally. Here's, I don't know if this will come as a surprise for you or not, but my Mercedes valuable player in this movie is the city of Chicago, baby. Yes, Chi-Town. baby. Chi-Town. Yeah, baby. So it's kind of, so, because this movie takes place in kind of a um, Anytown USA version of Chicago, um, they can kind of play a little fast and loose with the geography. And which, right. like, when I'm watching it now, being very familiar with where they shot a lot of this, especially downtown, I'm like, it doesn't make sense that he would, like, leave work, which is on Wab- Wabash and Jackson, basically, and then suddenly be at Daly Plaza, which is like you know, half a mile as a crow flies it like Northwest sure. or something or whatever it is. Or the fact that he was like on a bus and got off like up by Drury Lane theater, which I think used to be up off of um, Chicago Avenue, kind of near where the museum of contemporary art, which uh, is very close to the lake and coming from work on his way down to the university of Chicago, which would be it's South of the city, kind of on uh, South or university of Illinois, at Chicago, I think. Um, which is like south, he'd probably just take a southbound bus or the train to get down there. Um, that kind of journey doesn't make sense, but like, I don't know, man. Like, like I was saying at the, the beginning of this discussion, this is like a Chicago that um, this is a part, and it, there's just a quality of light. There's the the skyline and the downtown area isn't too crowded with like buildings that are just like kind of glass and steel there's a lot of the old architecture still standing and it's a part it's it's the chicago captured in this movie and in the movie the lake house which i also want to bring on the show one day actually the keanu reeves sandra bullock time travel romance um that really like made me fell in love with the city when i was a kid like this particular part of the town um and uh you know what i think it just happened to work out that they were filming this um and they didn't get the bean, which is kind of disappointing that there's no bean sighting in this movie, folks. There's no bean in this movie. <laughs> uh, yeah, this is a beanless this is a production. Beanless production. But if if I had to choose, I think that the the special sauce in this movie is the way that they use the city of Chicago. And for a movie about like, um, for a movie, uh, the the way that it like loves the architecture, it loves the CNA building. Uh, it loves, uh, also like in her, I think bakeries in like little village or maybe Ukrainian village, which is like not a typically a place that I think you would see, like they would go to shoot. So it's nice that they got some, um, architect, like some kind of cool local, like kind of outside of the downtown area on film there. Uh, love Maggie Gyllenhaal's apartment too. I think she has an incredible apartment. Just to shout out your Mercedes valuable player on the production design there. Yes, chef. Uh, I don't know. This is a uh, this is still a movie that I think uses the city in a really um, creative way, and it, it was just such a treat to treat to to see and to kind of take a time traveler back. 
Absolutely. This is a full recommend for me. What about this you? This is a light full recommend for me, just because of the, the fact that I was overthinking this movie and it didn't quite bring it to the finish line. It's still one that I would say, like, yeah. if someone was like, uh, I, I still, it's still an incredibly meaningful movie for me. And even when I was like, so I watched the movie and I was like, I don't know if I can do a full recommendo on this. But when I was watching those featurettes and like being back in the universe of the movie, I'm like, no, this is just a great place to be and hang out. I love these characters. I love how it's shot and I love uh, the city. It's still meaningful to me. So it's a light full recommendo, uh, but I do still love this movie. So I think that's it. Unless you have anything else last minute about either anything. No, we're done. Yeah. If you like listening to this show, you can stay up to date with this show on social media. You can like us on Facebook. It's on the list with Noah and Mason. You can email us. Everybody wants to the number two. Get on the list at gmail.com if you have something to say, suggestions, comments, whatever. We got that email open. Yep. I don't think we've ever gotten an email. I don't think but we have it's available if you want to send so us an send email. Send us an email. <laughs> Yeah, please be the first. You can be the first person to send us an email. You can also follow us on Instagram. It's on underscore the list. You can also like us on Twitter. It's on the list pod. It is where we keep you guys up to date. And sometimes we post fun little things like how I made it's on the list in Family Guy font and then photoshopped Mason and I's heads uh, on Peter and Stewie. So sometimes you get little treats like that, but it's where you can find the most up-to-date news about this show if it is a show that you want up-to-date news about. You can also listen to my other podcast, my favorite podcast, a podcast about people's favorite things. Coming up this week... We will be talking about Norm's Diner with the chef himself, Thomas Saradarian. Oh, boy. <laughs> what? Yeah, that's what? for real. Oh, can't wait to listen to that. Uh, that's going to be... Uh, yeah, that's going to be that. one for the yeah. ages. So... You can look forward to that. We have a live 13 other episodes that you can listen to. Uh, we just released also an episode about Bo Burnham, which I think I plugged last week. So if you're a Bo Burnham fan, definitely hop on that. We do a deep dive of everything that he's done uh, in his career so far. Uh, you can like us on uh, – you can follow us on Twitter, MyFavePod, at MyFavePod. You can uh, follow us on Instagram, uh, MyFavorite underscore podcast. And uh, you can watch YLG stuff your local government at ylg.world and then as always follow me on twitter and instagram uh yeah like i said my actual little recommendo will be the new lemon twigs album which is probably their best album so far that's all i got from me mason bring us home you can find me on Instagram at HotDogDebicki. You can also find me on uh, Letterboxd under my name, Mason McGuire, or at my other podcast, The Barn, a podcast about the Shield. I am also uh, on Instagram at GoodSkyTonight, where I'm taking pictures of the sky that I think is pretty. Uh, my little recommendo this week would be doing a 15-minute stretch every day. I've been doing that, and it has been, uh, if not every day, you know, more more days during the week than not. And it has been doing wonders for my uh, mental health, for my just general kind of making a routine. And it's also cool just to, like, get out and stretch. Uh, I will have, <laughs> just, just is in the way that things happen, I don't have a community resource <laughs> when we're recording, so I'll put something, I probably put something in front of the show there. 
closer to when I was editing and went to the release, so you'll have that information. Uh, but yeah, uh, that does, about does it for me. Stay safe out there, folks. Uh, we love you. We are, hope you're doing well. Hope you're still staying safe. Black Lives Matter. Black Trans Lives Matter. Defund Abolish the Police. Save the Postal Service. Register to vote if you're going to vote. And you know what? You probably should. Uh, just because... Well, just because it's the thing you gotta do. And I guess that about does it for us this week. But we will see you all very, very soon. Bye.